it's funny they they go back to the same shed each night like they they have a bit of a routine i think and if we move the sheds too far forward they'll go back to where the shed was rather than where the shed is so 25 meters perfect no issues but you go 100 150 meters even though they could see it they'll probably go back to where they were there's just something to do with their homing instinct so if we've got to move them any distance we'll do it at night we'll shut the doors and do it at night and they'll wake up in the right spot they'll wake up in the morning and there's no issues Hello and welcome to Propagate, the podcast that shines a light on young farmers and fishers. Today's guest is Angus Morris, who, along with his family, own a farm in Gillinghall, an hour outside of Dubbo. As well as sheep and crops, they also run Farmer Brown's Happy Hens, a pastured egg company that has hatched into a bit of a star concern for the family. In the first of many poultry puns, I wanted to know what came first for his business, the chickens or the eggs? Uh, the chickens are the, the, the new enterprise and, and they're a brand. So, you know, we put a lot of work into them. Uh, we've owned them since January um, 2015, so four years, four and a half years. In that time, we've learnt the business. You know, it's been quite a steep learning curve and we've sort of expanded it from 1,000 chooks to about 5,000. Not every farmer thinks in terms of brands. So what makes you think in terms of brands? The thing about eggs is, you know, a lot of people can actually produce good eggs probably. So it has to be a connection with your customer. For us, particularly in the last 18 months after we did a bit of training on uh, brand marketing, we started to sell the values of the brand rather than the benefits of the product. And so we've tried to really connect with our customers using social media, improved our brand image and how we talk about our eggs and how we sell our eggs. And uh, that's really led to our improved sales, to be honest. So what inspired that? It was training, really. Like we, you know, the first couple of years, we were just really learning how to produce the eggs and get the systems in place. And we really did start from scratch. And the Dubbo Regional Council put on an excellent training event um, in 2018. And they employed a brand marketing specialist and also a business coach to run this course. And it was based on sort of value-based marketing. It was really it was really to support all the businesses in the in the Dubbo Regional Council that were value adding their farm produce basically. So it was it was invaluable training. A lot of it was social media. But what we really took out of it was was selling our products through value-based marketing rather than benefits-based sales. So you know, we started to think about what's important and what differentiates us from, from our competitors. And once we started sort of putting that down on paper and working through it, we came up with some new taglines and um, everything's pretty much flowed from there. Our social media flows from there. And, um, you know, the, for the four days training, we got a lot out of it. So how did it feel making that change? Because that's a big switch from here's the product that's great to here's why the product's great. It felt great. It felt like we actually really needed, like we knew we needed to it. That's why we went to the training. We knew we were a bit off the pace. We were lucky enough to have quite a big family and a diverse skill set in the family. And even though my sister's not living here on the farm, she is uh, really talented in the design, creative side of things. 
So she's designed all our packaging, our website, our point of sale material. And uh, so she came and did the course um, along with myself and my brother. And we've you know, all got different skill sets. And by being able to combine our skill sets, um, we're able to make it work you know, without any outside agencies. We did get a little bit of help from a social media expert, um, or quite a bit for a few months as well. It got us going on that. It was a little bit daunting at the start, planning out our social media where it was, you know, three posts a week, you know, which was instead of one or two, you know, a fortnight or every three weeks. So it was a lot more regular, it was planned and uh, a bit more targeted. But since then, you know, we've we've gone from, you know, three or 400 followers to eight or 900 um, on both Instagram and Facebook. Um, and we've grown our sales from, you know, probably $15,000 a month to forty dollars to $45,000 a month. So just managing that growth's been a bit tricky, but that's, you know, that was what it's all about. It's a good problem to have. Yeah, absolutely. That sort of boom, that's a really solid growth that you've had. Yeah, no, the growth's been important. It's certainly the first two or three years we was very slow growth and um, uh, there was a lot of issues. We've got a disease in the chooks and, you know, we, we were just working stuff out. The last 12 months is really where it's sort of clicked. Right now we're in the grip of, you know, a really dry period and the great the great thing is we're looking at failed crops but the chooks don't really care if it's wet or dry. Um, so, you know, that turnover, the profit from the chooks, you know, is probably going to carry us through, you know, and while we while the crop income is going to be so low. After seeing them on social media, I was desperate to meet these industrious chickens who now represent a major part of the bottom line for the Morris family. But before I could even take a selfie with these feathery influencers, they approached me. Lots of them approached me. Uh, this is one flock. There's about 1,480 here. So there's three caravans and each caravan Holds about 500. They're laying at over 80% these girls at the moment, which, which is great, which is just where we need them to be. They sit here in these caravans um, where they lay their eggs and then we move these caravans on Mondays and Thursday mornings. So they're never on the same spot for more than three days and fill up their feed once a week and the water as they need it. Um, so there's a bit of work, but um, it, what it, what it actually means is these chooks are never left in the same spot for too long because they can do a lot of damage to a paddock, just the same as leaving sheep or cattle in the same spot for too long. So constantly moving's the way to actually, for them to be a positive result on the pasture rather than a negative. But it's also better for the chooks because they're getting a fresh patch. And so um, you get better eggs and healthier chooks. So it's a bit of a win-win uh, as long as you keep them moving. Now talk me through the guard dogs. We couldn't do it without the Marema guard dogs. Um, that enables us to never shut the doors on the caravans or build a fence. So the hens are free to roam. They're never locked in. Um, they basically just, on dark, will come back and roost. But at daylight, they're up and about um, foraging. And they lay their eggs, 95% of them lay their eggs in the nesting boxes in the sheds. Um, there's a few on the ground. Uh, but the marima dogs are the only way we could do that, otherwise we'd be down here at daylight um, letting them out or building a fence and here at dark shutting them in. So uh, it makes our life a lot easier. And uh, you know, we have two dogs with each flock, sometimes a few more, and they, one 
most of the time aren't tied up, so the dogs roam as well, and they just pretty much um, guard their patch, so they don't let a let a fox in really. What I like about this paddock is you've got plenty of trees and things around. I never really would have thought about chickens and traditional Australian gum trees. Yeah, I don't know whether it's um, yeah where the chickens evolved, but I, from what I understand, they are forest birds. They love foraging under trees, so uh, we do use the, use the paddocks that have the most trees for our hens, um, particularly in summer, because it also gives them that extra bit of shade. Hen welfare in summer is a real issue. Yeah, our regenerative paddocks are usually the paddocks with the most trees anyway. Ground cover trees, um, they do a lot of scratching, foraging, um, as well as eating the, the grain mix that we provide as well. I'm glad we're both wearing protective footwear and clothing they're right pretty now. pretty friendly, aren't they? Yeah, they, I don't know what it is, but um, they do just like seeing whether they can undo your shoelaces. <laughs> but yeah, I know. I know my kids don't think it's a great thing. They don't enjoy it at all, uh, the constant pecking. But you do get used to it. Yeah, you, you do need shoes on. You wouldn't be down here in your flip-flops, that's for sure. Oi. Oh, they've, they've, cracked, they've cracked through the pants yeah, now. They're getting to the socks. Yeah, they're... Oh, yeah, I don't know. They're persistent. They can't help themselves. They do like visitors more than the regulars as well, I think. They're friendly. They are indeed friendly, which is lucky because I was massively outnumbered and they had the home turf advantage. So the ladies are fairly self-contained and they're not too fussy about the weather, but there's still a lot of work to be done in order to sell eggs. And that's where the family comes in. So how does the family approach a challenging, diverse and growing business? Well, for us, um, so there's four kids in, in our generation and mum and dad Lucy and I have two kids, so they're, they're still very young. They're only five and seven. My youngest brother, James, has a couple of kids. But we, we decided a few years ago as we started the succession planning process that we should be working together. We should ultimately just try and grow, grow the pie, just continue working together um, for, for an outcome that, you know, that doesn't pull us apart or devalue what's already been achieved. So we thought if we tried to sort of go our own ways and extract value out of the business for each family now, we felt like that we wouldn't have achieved what we set out to achieve. It would have just gone straight back to square one. And so there's, there's more work to be done keeping it together and more opportunity keeping it together. And we all said, let's work together. So when everyone says, let's work together, it, it wasn't a hard decision to say, well, let's do that, rather than someone saying, well, I want my money now, or yeah, um, or mum and dad saying we want to retire, we're going to need X amount of dollars to retire. They, they didn't want to do that. So it just evolved that it just sort of made sense for us to pitch in, work together, do the best we can, see what happens. You mentioned two generations. Was there ever any challenges between the generational thought, shall we say? Uh, yeah, there's always a little bit of that, but um, no, look, nothing more than I think what's normal. What was the best thing that could have happened was meeting Mark Gardner and doing the holistic training 20 years ago when I came home and mum, dad and I did it together. So we set off as a working unit, as a working group with new new training that we all did together. So we started at a very same level. Um, even though Dad had a lot more experience in farming, um, 
we sort of all had new knowledge and then we worked together on this, on the holistic goal and we've made our decisions towards that. So not that it's all been perfect, it, but that really did help set our course and I think it's helped us pull together and, um, we, you know, we still refer to it. So, yeah, I think that was the key. Talk me through the holistic training. What's that? Holistic management is something uh, that was developed by Alan Savory, who was a Zimbabwean ecologist. The training's been run in Australia since the mid-90s. Um, really what it's about is a triple bottom line. So holistic means holism. It's pulling lots of things together rather than thinking about one thing at a time, trying to think about multiple things all at the same time when making decisions. So in a farming point, farming setting, it's about thinking about the environment, thinking about the people and thinking about the profitability and factoring all of those things in as we make decisions rather than just focusing on one. You know, so quite often businesses will just focus on profit and the people environment can sometimes suffer. So it's about just trying to holistically make decisions towards multiple things and um, there's a framework for doing that. That's what the holistic training's about. So, you know, it's not like here's a concept. No, there is actually a framework and um, it's, I think it's fantastic. It's, it's been a great thing for us. The holistic approach to all aspects of the business has helped them steer a family business into a growing brand that is really resonating with customers. And that's the big picture stuff, the feel-good concept behind it all. But what about the numbers? Because numbers sometimes have a nasty habit of not always playing by the rules. Luckily, Angus's maths is a lot better than mine. How many eggs would you get out of one of those? Uh, good question. There's 500 hens in each. Well, they're meant to be. They've got room for 500. We're collecting 40 trays. So there's 30 eggs to a tray from these three caravans. So say 13 trays per caravan, 13 times 30 whatever that, 420 eggs, something like that. Um, so from 500 hens, 420 a day, that, around that sort of level, particularly while these hens are young, you know, which is sort of where they need to be. The economics work at that sort of level, that's actually really good. Talking of economics, is there ever a temptation to sort of go, well, let's make it a bigger trailer, let's make bigger patches? There is a temptation because I do think we could sell the eggs if we if we grew it further and there are bigger farms than ours in this pasture type system so we're 5,000 hens Um, I think we could add another flock but one of the great things about this this fight this scale is that it pretty much sits on top of everything else we do so we're still running the same amount of sheep growing the same amount of acres of crops uh, and we've just added the hens on top so it's not taking anything away from anything else if anything the pasture's just being improved a little bit uh, so it's a bit of a win-win. If we took this from 5,000 to 10,000 hens, we'd have to start reducing something else. So we don't have that, you know, that nice sitting on top thing going on. And then I think, you know, there's, yeah, there's, it's doable, but then uh, I think you're starting to move away from the, the nice win-win with, you know, not too much soil damage ecological improvement, hen welfare, you know, I just think it's a, it's a good scale at this level. It's something I do think about because once you do have things working and you've got the equipment and, you know, we've put a mill in so we can use our own grain, um, you know, so we could, it's not fully utilised 
Uh, we've got an egg cleaning machine that's quite a fair investment, a grading machine. You know, it could work harder, um, but you'd need people to operate it. Um, so it would be possible, but I think it's just about getting the balance right and a small increase from here is probably right for us um, from a balance point of view. I think there's room to improve as well. Like, we can just keep trying to be the best we can be in this space. I think that's the key at the moment. Spend the next couple of years doing that. Maybe get our production up a little bit, improve our quality, you know, really cement our customers and our, um, you know, our marketing, and then, um, and then go from there maybe. Now, the guard dogs have done a pretty good job because they came and said hello to me, and one of them said a little bit more than hello to me. <laughs> Where did that come from? Ah, well, they're, they're an Italian um, flock breed, so I think they have been bred to bond with the flocks they live with. I think normally more sheep and ruminants in, in Italy, mainly protecting them from, from wolves, I think. But it's just something in their nature to bond with where they're living. Not every dog will stay here. They do run back to the egg room occasionally, so we tie them up. But majority of the time, two dogs will live down here. They won't need to be tied up. They will wander. They'll protect the patch, um, but won't be far. Yeah, so um, they do an amazing job. They make it possible, that's for sure. It, it's a great way to do it, but, it, but um, you know, if you can't buy, you were not going to buy a dozen eggs at $3.50 from one of these farms. You know, it's going to be $7 to, to 11 probably. You know, we're wholesaling them for $5.50 to $6.60, depending where they're going, $6.60 to Sydney, and they end up being retailed for 9 10 or 11 It's not a mass production system. You know, I think there should be one in, one or two in every regional centre and they should supply that regional centre. But to, to stock woolies with these eggs, I don't think individual farms aren't going to be able to do it. It, it would have to be a, a cooperative effort, some sort of collaboration, and it would have to be under one or two brands, not, you know, not ten, ten brands. Um, so, yeah. But we think it's a great way to do it and, you know, the more of these sort of setups that are around... Yeah, you know, I think it's a great win-win. You can, it sits on top of your other farm enterprises, so there's that layered effect. Um, you know, it's it is it is profitable. It's starting to be. It hasn't been for the last three years, but it is starting to be now. Um, so there's an extra cash flow. Um, it's just an extra enterprise without having to take anything away. So it's been a win-win for us. What made you keep the faith in those sort of lean times when I mean, before it was profitable? Uh, we could see that. We could see that it could be done better, so it was just a matter of just getting things right, getting the right equipment, the way we were running them, getting that, you know, not letting them get old. So we knew we were learning, so we, we just had to stick at it. We, yeah, you don't give up on something while you're still learning. You've got to give it a chance. Yeah, it would have been too soon. So, yeah, you had to... you just got to put it in. You've got to just do the hard yards and learn and work it out, get it right. Do your research. That's pretty good advice for anyone, in life or in business. And unlike so many gurus, Angus Morris has lived by them and is now enjoying the success. Plus, he also has a chorus of chickens behind him, so it must be true. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode of Propagate, which is proudly brought to you by the Chicks and Chooks at the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries Young Farmer Business Program. We have more great episodes from more great people, and while you're downloading them, don't be afraid to leave us a review. My name's Corey Haig. Thanks for listening.